we're going to talk about budget a little bit today. Roger already has next week, and then we have our AGM on June 11th at 7 p.m., which we'll approve the budget. You can pick up the budget uh, in the back there. But um, we have something fantastic that happens here on Tuesday afternoons. Look at that. It's upside down, sideways, but there we go. Yeah, so this is, we have a quilting group that comes on Tuesday, and um, it's part of the budget. We, you as a church, when you give to our budget, are paying for these quilts, for the lining for them, and the rest and different things, and we have some wonderful ladies that come and put them together. Pretty good folding job, by the way. <laughs> so I've got some questions for Evelyn and Elsie. How many years have we been making quilts at Broadway Church? We've been doing this for about 10 years. And how many people attend here? We're about 14, 12 to 14 people that arrive, uh, women, all women. And uh, five of them are from our church. So the others come from Main Street Church, from the Central Church. We have some from the Cornerstone, like the Dutch Church. And uh, we have one from, um, yeah, right, and one from the Latter-day Saints. So who, who's here, who's a quilter? You want to stand up if you're coming to the quilting, please? I see a few people. Doris and Ruth and uh, Janice and Linda. Bennett, are, oh. you, are you standing, Bennett? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. And so how many quilts have you made over the 10 years? We have made, um, but yeah, every year from September to March, or yeah. May, we make about 300 quilts. So. Wow. Yeah. 300 quilts. How long does it take to make a quilt? Well, that varies because um, the tops of the quilt are made at home by the ladies. They use their own fabric at home and craft the, the top of the quilt, then bring it to the church here and we assemble them here and put the backing and the matting and the top on. And that, um, we can make about eight or 10 every week. That, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good speed. I admire the efficiency. And they work hard. I go in there and watch right. and join them for snack time. <laughs> so our budget is about $2,500 for the quilt, so that's awesome. So who gets a quilt? How are they distributed throughout the world? Well, there are 15 countries that receive these quilts. Uh, for example, Ukraine received 23,000 this past year. Wow. And uh, Jordan was 9,000, and Syria had 5,000. And these are um, made, all made by people in the Mennonite groups in North America. They come from North America. Wow. Yeah. So what joys are experienced as you gather on Tuesdays? 
to make quilts. What do you love about it? Oh, we really enjoy getting together, just socializing and visiting while we are quilting, while we're tying the knots. We have a lot of visiting going on. And then, uh, and knowing all the time that what we're doing is really a useful thing. So it's not just going, getting together for coffee, but just doing something useful makes us feel good. And then at the end, we always have a snack, and oh, we have a devotional first, and a time of prayer, and then we have a little snack, and then we go home around 3.30. But I also want to tell you that every quilt costs about $10, we've estimated. And we buy the backing and the filler from MCC. They deliver it from headquarters in Abbotsford every couple of weeks when we tell them we need more. And then we supply the, the topping, so the top of the quilt. So, yeah, the price is about $10. And before we leave, I want to also say that Nettie Warkentine was very much in charge of this for 20, 25, maybe even 30 years. So she was the head, head push behind these quilt, quilts. And uh, so we, she worked very hard and very fast. We had trouble keeping up with her because she was just whipping around that table like you wouldn't believe. And, and I don't know if she's here today, but if she isn't, I just want to thank her personally for what she did for all the quilts we made. Yeah. Yeah. Let's give it a cheer. <laughs> Lots of activity going on here. Lots of things that you might not think are in a budget, are in a budget, and I just want to present to you that's one of the beautiful things that goes on because you guys are a giving church. You can turn to the book of Acts, and we're going to go through a sermon here out of Acts chapter 1 and 2 a little bit. We're continuing our By Faith series. And... Uh, if you're new here and you see a tree there, what's going on? We've got a bit of a motto, a saying, a slogan for our By Faith series is that you, uh, a good society depends on people planting trees whose shade they will never sit under. Let's think about that for a minute. So that means by faith we are doing ministry here every Sunday. Don't always see the results that day, that week that month, that year, that decade, it's for another generation perhaps. And that's the beauty of the church. We're always thinking of the next generation. We do care about the current generation, but we're always about taking the gospel to the next generation, the next generation. And that's why kids camp is important, vacation Bible camp. So today is by faith and waiting for the Holy Spirit going to talk about Pentecost, so you can be looking in Acts 1 and 2. Two Greek words for time. Kairos is an appointed or an opportune time. Kronos is the measure of time or the passage of time. Some of our favorite songs are like this. Um, Yesterday by the Beatles. All my troubles seem so far away. <laughs> I like yesterday better. <laughs> my troubles were in the past. I don't want to think about the future. So we have songs like that. We have Otis Redding. Do you remember where he was sitting, wasting his time away at the dock of the bay? Uh, Bruce Springsteen talked about the passage of time that was 
kind of the glory days back in high school, the glory days. Time is a grim reminder of our mortality, and it's the final frontier that no living thing can overcome. We all die. The word time is is used in the New Testament over 200 times. Many times it's like during the time of this king or this leader, this leader, which would mean, you know, an an appointed time, but also uh, the measure of time. You could set a year, A.D., based on who was king. Interesting, even the demons knew about an appointed time for for an event. Jesus came across demons and he delivered them from two people, and he put them into a herd of pigs, it says, in Matthew chapter 8. And it says, the pigs rushed down a steep bank and into the Sea of Galilee, and all the pigs were killed. And this is what the demons said. Have you come to torture us, Jesus, before the appointed time? Time's important in the Bible. All kinds of interesting things about time. So what is time? Time came into existence at the creation of the world, day and night, morning and evening. It's the sense of time. Time is not timeless. (laughs) It had a beginning. Time, space, and energy came into existence. As we read Genesis 1, God spoke, and boom, it was created. There once was nothing, and now there is space, which we're having our vacation Bible camp about, Now there is space and there is time. There is mass. So time began at creation and becomes the agency through which God continues to to unveil his divine purpose for it. A few weeks ago I went through all the appointed times in the Old Testament. When you go to the oceans and you experience tides, when you experience sunrises and sunsets, you are experiencing time. When you're stuck in traffic, you are experiencing time. When the seasons change, the nights grow shorter, you are experiencing time. As you experience getting older, you are experiencing time. So God works in time, and there are appointed times. So I want to read Acts chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and on there will be a couple of the key verses, but here it is. After Jesus suffered... He presented himself to his disciples, and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He once was dead, but now he's alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Remember, to live by faith means to wait. But wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, it's John the Baptist, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. That's why we celebrated the ascension last week. So God reveals himself in history 
according to the times and dates set by his own authority. It's not for us to know the times or the dates. Save money, please, buying the latest book by some end times pastor or author who thinks they've got the date set. Save your money, please. Nobody knows. Okay? I'm just quoting Jesus. I think I have good authority to say that's not just my opinion. So the New Testament, and so God is in charge of when biblical events happen. They are set. The New Testament presents Jesus as Lord over time. With the Father, Jesus existed prior to the beginning of time. It says Jesus created all things in Colossians. He sustains all things. He keeps going through time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Holy Trinity is timeless, but humanity is limited by time in the cycle of birth, life, and death. We are not Lord over time, but we are subject to it. It is Lord over us. So in the New Testament, Jesus is coming as the Messiah inaugurated the year of the Lord's favor, a time, a passage of time, and we are in it now. Paul talks about this as the day of salvation, not literally a 24-hour day. We are in the time, in the era, in the decades, in the centuries of people coming to Christ. And we'll get to why that is, because the Holy Spirit is here. That's why. We are to preach the good news in this time that we're in. So the present time, in some ways, holds a sense of urgency to go, to go, to go. God commands all people to repent, it says in Acts, of their sins and to follow Jesus. Ephesians and Colossians, we learn that believers are encouraged. You and I are encouraged to make the most of our time, of every opportune time that we have in serving God. And we are to mature in faith as long as it is called today. That's what we're called to do. Make use of the time you have to mature in your faith. Now, many Christians are most excited about the end times. Jesus says, get excited about the now times. If there's one thing you get out of today, is quit thinking about the end times. Let's think about the now times and what we are to do. The time you have now, make the most of it. The arrival of the Holy Spirit was the beginning of this day of salvation. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go, I'm ascended, and I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be in you, and things are going to happen. It's going to be an amazing now time. So he says, you've got to wait. There's one major event still to happen. There are a few major events, but the next major event to happen is you have to wait so by faith, for 10 days, they waited in an upper room, it says. About 120 believers, it says, in Acts 1, that were in this group. By faith, 10, that's not a bad wait, 10 days. It's pretty good. And he says this, the arrival of the Holy Spirit is what matters. And you guys, you 120, and every generation after you, you're going to go into the whole world, and you're going to preach the gospel, you're going to live out the gospel, in your everyday life, in your going, you're going to make disciples of all nations, not just Jewish people. You're going to go outside your own race, your own nation. In Matthew 28, that's what I'm reading from. He says you're going to baptize these people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. 
and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. How would they have taken that? No, Jesus, you're, you're, you're ascending. No, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, into you, and you're going to go do all this. I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. It seems the disciples were okay with this answer, and we need to be as well. It seems to me that Christians in the first century went about the master's business and saw every day as an opportunity to be involved with God in his timing of bringing people into the kingdom. These followers of Jesus, as we read in the New Testament, were instruments or vessels of the restoration and did not just sit back. Remember, their question was, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They kind of got it, but they're like, okay, you rose from the dead, but I really want to have Israel in all its glory. I don't want the Roman government here anymore. Ladies and gentlemen, we're in the last days. And Jesus said, I'm going to restore something else. So the Holy Spirit came upon them. We'll read that in a minute. And it says they loved each other. Jew loved Gentile. Gentile loved Jew. They loved all the nations, all cultures, all races. They sold possessions to give to the local church budget. They didn't have a banking system like we had. You know, some of the richer people just owned fields. So the book of Acts talks about such and such had some fields. He sold one and gave. They provided food and clothing and shelter for people and water and visitation. And they were tortured and they were killed for following Jesus. You know, and you've heard me say this, you know, like, when are you going to restore Israel? When are we going to have power back? And I think Jesus, no, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a wonderful power, but it's not going to be to rule over people. It's going to be able to endure <laughs> persecution. They were tortured and killed. And they had a power. Not a power to overthrow the government. They didn't storm the capital to get their way or to get their guy in office. They stormed into spiritual enemy lines to preach the good news of Jesus because they were concerned and we need to be concerned about the restoration of human souls. Not saying we shouldn't care about what our government does, but that was not their priority. They stormed into enemy territory and preached the gospel and were tortured and killed for it. This is the time we're in. It's not the restoration of Israel. It's the restoration of everyone created in the image of God. To be lifted, as we sang, out of the muck and the mire that their soul was in and put onto a high place, onto a rock. They knew Jesus was coming back and that caused them to preach and to teach and to pray. To work hard, to give energy to the king and give their very lives. These 120 people and more after that were led by the Spirit to establish churches for the rest of their lives. And this was all possible because Jesus was ascended. He went to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit. The battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of this dark world, it says in Ephesians. The spiritual forces of evil, that's what they stormed because they needed to restore people's souls. Jesus does that.
So, go to Acts chapter 2. The waiting is over. They didn't really know what it might mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So let's read it. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, about 120 of them in an upper room in, in Jerusalem. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what happened to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages or other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let's find out what this means. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Basically, how do they know my language from 400 miles away, my little cultural language over there? How is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, and list, list them here, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own distinct language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So the waiting's over. The day of Pentecost came. And they got this gift. The big anticipation is fulfilled. And it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit, Spirit enabled them. Why? That's the question. It's a good question for us to ask. What's happening? Well, if you remember Acts 1.8, it says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So here's the fulfillment right here. They are witnesses. They're going out and they're talking about the gospel, the wonders of God, in people's own language. Jerusalem. Was it just a fluke that it happened to be tens of thousands of Jewish people there in that day, coinciding with the giving of the Holy Spirit? No, it was a set time. So let's dig into Pentecost. I mean, have you heard the word Pentecost before? Most of us maybe know it because we have a friend who goes to a Pentecostal church. And, what, and that denomination has named themselves after this event, Pentecost. They're Pentecostals. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Pentecost is the Greek name for an Old Testament festival, the Feast of Weeks. Pentecost means 50. So if you're from a Pentecostal church, you have to be 50. I'm not sure. But the festival is 50 days after the Passover. That's why it's called Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And it's a festival of first fruits. It celebrates the end of the grain harvest. This event of the coming of the Holy Spirit took exactly on the date of the biblical feast of Pentecost, when tens of thousands of Jewish people would come to Jerusalem to celebrate this. That's significant. It's pretty smart. <laughs> for God to send his Holy Spirit on this day. You know? Luck. No. A set time. All arranged by God. 
Tens of thousands of Jews from all over the Mediterranean area are in Jerusalem for this celebration. Pentecost also was a time to celebrate the giving of the law for Jewish people. An anniversary of giving the law at Mount Sinai. A shadow of the receiving of the law is the Pentecost for some. It says God birthed the nation at Mount Sinai. You know, they were told to wait too, (laughs) those early followers of God. Uh, They couldn't wait though. They had a fresh memory of the Ten Commandments a fresh memory of the exodus from, the, from Pharaoh. But they couldn't wait and they built a golden calf. They needed something to worship. So they're called a stiff-necked people, stubborn, hard, shutting themselves off to God's call and command. So the New Testament people did pretty good. In their 10 days, they didn't build a golden calf. They just waited and waited and they had, a question. They had some questions. But the beauty is in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 33, during the temple service, the Jewish uh, celebration of Pentecost, they would read this. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. In that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. One day God will write his law on hearts of his people by his spirit. That's what Jesus said. That's why it's better that I go, because now my presence can come into your heart and look after you. Remember, Jesus had died. These followers had denied him, scattered and hid from the Roman authorities. Then Jesus rose from the dead, and for 40 days he continued to teach them. He ascended into the sky. Ten days later, 120 people are waiting. And this is what we read that happens. After three years of ministry, Jesus had 120 followers. Would you invite him to your church growth seminar? Probably not. These are 20 believers, 120 believers are sitting there. They hadn't built a golden calf, so far so good. But they asked that unimportant and irrelevant question to resurrected Jesus. Can we have our homeland back? When are you going to restore Israel? He says, no, i got better things for you. we got a now time. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Let's go. Let's do it. This is the set day for the Holy Spirit birthed the church on Pentecost. So there was about a dozen ethnic groups mentioned in here from all over the Mediterranean area. It says these 120 people were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other languages. People were amazed and perplexed. Some people saw this as public drunkenness. The crowd was bewildered, beside themselves, amazed at hearing these Galileans declare to each other in their own language the wonderful things God has done. These events had such, I think, an impact that it took Luke five different words to express the crowd's reactions to hearing the gospel in their own specific language. Bewildered or confused. They were beside themselves with wonder. After reflecting on this event, chapter 2, verse 12, the crowd was still amazed, actually astonished, and they were perplexed or mocking in their assessment of what was happening. 
The crowd was expecting language barriers, not the miraculous suspension of them through a spirit-empowered affirmation of linguistic and hence cultural diversity. So, back to our Pentecostal friends. If you're Pentecostal, that's, that's cool. That's great. But to call yourself Pentecostal because of this, this is a language that people understood. It's a whole other series to talk about what the gift of tongues is and an angelic language and interpretation. My point today is Pentecost is about people receiving the Holy Spirit and speaking another intelligent language that people understood. Now, as a denomination, we do believe we're not against the gifts of the Spirit and the speaking in tongues. That's a whole nother. That's not what this is. This is Pentecost, 50 days, a set time where I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and you 120 people are going to be given an amazing gift, and you're going to go out, and you're all of a sudden going to start speaking, you know? It's like if I just started speaking Japanese, Ukrainian, English, better. (laughs) Didn't go to language school. So this really doesn't happen today. I'm not saying I'm the holy, you know, I'm not a cessationist that all these gifts are gone. But you know what? We, We just spent thousands of dollars. Wycliffe spends thousands of dollars sending people to language training school. Trinity has a whole department to help people know how to learn languages. This doesn't seem to be happening today. Now, I've heard stories on the mission field where it has, right? So, but generally, we are sending people to language school. We send our missionaries to Thailand. They go to Trinity for a year to learn how to figure out a new language. Then they go to Thailand, and it takes two to three years to learn the language. So it's, it's different today. Not saying people don't have this gift. It can't happen, but generally this is how our world works currently. So, but it was an amazing time. An absolutely amazing time. And next weekend I'm going to go through Peter's sermon. Because it'll show what the Holy Spirit does. It says he convict people in their heart. So, what does Pentecost mean for you and I today? How are we to interpret this? I've given a bit of interpretation. Now, please don't misquote me and say I'm against Pentecostals. I, I didn't say that. I'm not saying it, but if they're going to call you Pentecostal, this is, this is where it sits. Acts chapter 2. So, a couple things here. The Spirit is not simply poured out here for private religious experience. It's poured out for the entire church. It's a kingdom thing. 120 people got it. And it established a new set of believers. It was poured out today, on this day, to bring people into the kingdom. Talk about that next week, but over 5,000 people. Went from 120 to over 5,000 because of the Holy Spirit being poured out. This happens today. (laughs) This is what we hope happens when we do Alpha. 
talk more about that next week. That's what happens when we do vacation Bible camp. The spirit gets poured out and people are brought into the kingdom. Second one, Pentecost is not the celebration of an ambiguous spirit or force. It's the celebration of Jesus' ongoing presence among us. We sang that with our third song. His presence. Do you want his presence? Do you want his holy presence in your life? That's what, the whole, that's what Pentecost is. Pentecost is every day. Every moment of your life. In your going, ask the Holy Spirit, you're in me. Pour yourself out. Give me words to say to these people. At my work. Pentecost is not the celebration of an ambiguous spirit of force. It's the celebration of Jesus' ongoing presence among us. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The whole again, a whole set of sermons there. But it's the presence of God. Jesus promised to never leave them or forsake them. And he didn't. I am with you. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. Jesus dwelt in them. And it's... And, and look at Peter. I mean, here's a guy who cowered around a campfire. Oh, you're, one, you're a follower of Jesus. No, never met the guy in my life. To then, here in Acts 2, gets the Holy Spirit poured out on him, and he preaches in front of tens of thousands of people. You might have heard it say, well, I, I, we want to be a church like this. Acts two, we want to be an Acts church, a first century church. And, and people say that, kind of pick and choose <laughs> the parts of it they like. Because um, here's what happened if you read this. You know, do you really want, <laughs> want this? Like, let's go for it. Generosity. Do you really want to be generous like this church? I think God wants us to be generous. That's what the early church was. Persecution. When you go into enemy lines, there's persecution. This is what happened here. So what this should do for us, our desire should not be to have everything happen in our life that happened in the book of Acts. It's for the presence of God like they had. However that might work in your individual life today, tomorrow, and the rest of your life. Our desire should be for the presence of God. And so they saw it, and I'll ask Liz and Darren to come on up and Dave. This is the beginning of the promise in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no preaching. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no mission. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no conversions. You would not be here today if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Convicting you of your sin. Convicting you of the need to be with other Christians, worshiping God, listening to the, to the word, and then applying it to your life. Holy Spirit, pour, pour out, pour out in our hearts. Pour out in this church. God has taken us somewhere. We want to live by faith. Individually and as an entire group. So we ask, Holy Spirit, pour out in this place. Amen.